Hi everyone, it's Jamie. I just want to share with you that my new book, Toxic Relationship Recovery, is available now. This book is for anyone who is healing after a harmful relationship, but it's also for people that are looking to identify toxic traits, toxic behaviors, and toxic strategies that get used upon people every single day. The second half of the book teaches you strategies to heal your inner voice and find your authentic self after experiencing this type of harm. I'm looking forward to you all reading it and hearing your feedback from it. It's available today. Find Toxic Relationship Recovery wherever you buy books. This is Unlearned, a self-rising production. I'm Jamie. And I'm CA. And we are your hosts. This is a podcast all about deconstructing who we are, and exploring who we are becoming. I want to make something perfectly clear. I do not deny the reality of suffering, not yours, not mine, not humanity's in general. It is simply that I refuse to fetishize it. And that's from the book Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert. Uh... So what we are talking about some kind of complex stuff today. We're talking about the relationship between love and suffering and how we have grown to understand suffering's role in our life. You know, what what role does suffering play? How does that pan out and show up in our healing journey, right? And CA and I, when we were doing our brainstorm, we were realizing our history and our relationship with suffering and our story and our foundation really, I mean, personally, I can just speak for myself right now. I realized so much of that was keeping me imprisoned in some of my, like in some false belief systems that really held back my healing for many years. I think about my commitment to thinking almost that like suffering was the end goal or the, I guess, highest aspiration. Like I should be seeking out things that cause me to suffer and go into that a little bit. Where did you get that from? Right. Okay. So if you think about some, someone might be like, what do you mean? Why are you seeking out? Yeah, exactly. I'm like, well, for some people listening, they might be like, that sounds crazy, but it's for, yeah, I, I want you to like elaborate there a little bit, like, because I have a similar experience, but I'd love to hear your Yeah, I mean, really what I can maybe share is, I mean, many of you who've listened to the podcast in the earlier days know like our religious deconstruction. A lot of our foundation, without getting into all the story, we had similar upbringings that kind of showed up in different ways for us. So I'm going to speak to myself for myself. The understanding that I had around suffering was that it is a part of life, right? And there are philosophies and religious understandings that are like, yes, suffering is part of life. I understand that. Yet, the way it was kind of taught to me was almost that by experiencing suffering, you're almost like elevating your self, right? That, that, the idea of suffering is to almost like get toward enlightenment or I guess in, in our religious construct, it was to bind it to the cross or to bind it to Christ, which is our belief system was a Jesus based belief system and was based from Christianity. And so when I was taught that like, you're going through suffering and this is kind of the point you're supposed to be experiencing this and then binding it to get holier or to get more devoted to God or almost like this is the vehicle that God is using to like form you into the shape you need to be. And that for some people, they might be hearing this and they're like, yeah, like that's what are you talking about? Like, that's my ideology. So I do want to hold space that there might be some people that are going to hear this episode and be like, "Mm, I don't agree with you, which is totally fine. I tell people all the time, you are welcome and 
you know, in every regard, like you don't have to agree with the things that we say. I'm just sharing my personal journey and how it showed up almost after deconstruction. So when I went through deconstruction, when you think about suffering being a tenant of life and almost being something you seek because it is a former, it is a shaper, it is a what are we a crafts it's a crafts person in your life like it's crafting you into something what's difficult is when you have to unlearn a concept like that it really messes with your head when you're going through like mental health issues or when you're going through relationship issues right because if you think about it one of the things that you know you guys know like my book is on this like toxic relationships if someone can convince you that the point of life is to be going through something like very burdensome and suffering. Like I wish this was made up, but when we were deep into it, we would hear some of those narratives. We would hear it come out of the, the front, like people we like were involved in our faith system with, we would hear them being like, I know that my partner is not treating me well. And I just think of, you know, Job, and I think of, you know, Christ on the cross, and I think of everything that he went through, and that made him a better person. And when you hear those narratives come out of people's mouths, when they're enduring a toxic relationship, and their justification is that's the point. It's very difficult to talk to someone who's like, no, I think God put this person in my life that I will be bonded to forever because in our religion, divorce was a no, no. Right. So they're looking at me and they're like, this is the person that I am chosen to be getting holier through. And yes, it's painful. Yes. They're abusive. Yes. They are hurting me and my family. And I fully believe that suffering is meant to, is the point of my life. So yes, I'm suffering. And that's the point. Yeah, so I really don't want to like beat around the bush because I it's our personal story. And if somebody else's experience of their faith isn't like this, that's totally valid. But there do need to be voices out there for the people whose experiences are more like, similar to what we went through. And it's religiously speaking, a lifelong indoctrination that suffering is the ultimate path to holiness. And we get this not only just through the story of like Jesus on the cross, but in our faith system, I was raised Catholic. And so um, I, I cannot, I can't emphasize enough how much stories of the saints were an integral part of this like formation of this thought process. We were told story after story after story. And if you're unfamiliar with what Catholicism is in the lives of the saints, these are people that are believed to be united with Jesus and God in heaven right now. And they're like, like we can be certain that they're in heaven and they're interceding on our behalf. And so what our faith did, what our church did was kind of like compile a lot of the stories of their lives and use these as examples of holiness. So we were raised on these stories of people. This is what they did and this is how they got to heaven. So it was very specifically taught to us, like these lives, these stories of their lives were taught to us as an example of how you get to heaven. And when I tell you, I... At least 95% of these stories are people who were experiencing like the pinnacle of various forms of human suffering. And it was taught to us that like, that's how they got to heaven. Like that's literally how they did it because of extreme like physical illnesses or toxic relationships that they just prayed themselves through or losing, you know, their family, losing their children or being persecuted, being um, ostracized, like all these things, like every like horrible human experience you can think of. They had an example of some saint who went through it and that's how they got to heaven because they experienced that level of pain and suffering 
and chose to offer it up and like bind that pain to the pain of the cross. Now, listen, here's what I want to say about this. And this is very important. I am actually not even going to sit here and try to invalidate that belief system. If that is part of the, the belief system and the, you know, Catholic church wants to continue highlighting that as the path to, as a path to heaven, that's fine. But what the problem is, is that it was highlighted as the path to heaven. And we just weren't really given a rubric or a structure for understanding life and holiness outside of that context of suffering. It was suffering or bust. It was like, that's how you do it. Like that's, even if your life isn't as hard as Saint so-and-so, like fine. It was almost like find the suffering in your life. Like look out for it. Always be looking for it because whenever you have it or experience it, like that's a good thing. Latch onto that and ride that wave of suffering all the way to heaven. And what I'm suggesting here is that we kind of opened up this episode as, you know, suffering versus love is this is kind of almost how my deconstruction started. If I had to walk it all the way back was me like uncoupling holiness from suffering and me expanding my idea of divinity and my idea that we didn't have to approach the divine through these alleys of pain, suffering, negativity, deficit, that we could feel, experience, and understand the divine through love and joy and abundance and the good parts of our life. So that's what I wanted to present was an alternative. So I'm not even invalidating. I don't think that suffering is invalid. And I do think that you can validly connect. And this whole episode isn't going to just be about religion, but I just wanted to speak to that topic itself. I do think that you can validly connect with something greater than yourself when you're in those moments of suffering. I'm not invalidating that. But what I'm saying is that you can also connect through the like positive aspects of our life. And for whatever reason, we were just like raised in this belief system that really, really, really prioritized the negative and the suffering as like the ultimate way to do that. And then like, even if they gave nods to like, oh yeah, sure. Like rejoice in the Lord and like giving, you know, giving a nod to like the positivity as well. It was never prioritized. It wasn't like, this is how you can achieve holiness is through, you know, love, joy, uh, abundance, inclusiveness, like these like more positive aspects of the human experience was never like posited to us as like the most authentic option for achieving that level. So I just wanted to present that as an alternative. And that's kind of like how it started for me. And I started expanding my idea of that. Beyond that, though, beyond religion and holiness, I do want to talk about in a wider cultural lens. I don't think religion is the only part of us that fetishizes suffering. No. I see it culturally and socially in other ways as well. So if you want to kind of talk about. No, I mean, I think that's a really good, you know, like stepping back point for people who may have not been raised with like a religious upbringing. It's like, you got to remember that some of these themes, like they bleed out into so many different facets of, you know, culture. I mean, think about someone who was raised in like, let's say like a lower socioeconomic status and they are raising a few kids and the kids are going to school and they're like, you know, dad, like there might be a different way to do this. Like we might be able to get out. um, We might be able to apply to this program or we might be able to do this to get some of like your feet underneath us. Like, you know, there's a way we can maybe save up some money and do this. Like I've, I've been learning all these different options and the dad's like, that's not us that's not us. We are completely on our own. 
we don't listen. We don't tap into the community resources. We don't do any of that. Like we are going to be on our own and we, and so it's like, not that they want suffering, but like when they're in this commitment to like saying, we will not go any other direction other than the direction that I've been doing my whole life. Right. It's like, it's almost this idea of like, wait, so does that mean like I have to take on that I understanding of life too? Or can I be like, yeah, I mean, this is a scholarship. I'm going to take the scholarship. Right. And so people might even like to the extreme would be like, that's a handout, right? Like you don't deserve that scholarship. You know, like you shouldn't take money from anyone. Right. And I sit there and I go, that's a perfect ideology to keep the suffering brewing is like, you never get a chance to like ever get reprieve. You never get a chance to just like, Hey, here's a breather. Like life's handing you a breather. You want to take the breather. And it's like, if someone's like, we don't take anyone supporting us. Right. I'm reading this book. Um, rest is resistance. I don't know if anyone has read it. And if you have sound off in like our DMS, cause like I, this book is like phenomenal. It's um, by Trisha Hersey, I believe. She's a phenomenal woman talking about the cross sectionality, like the or the intersectionality of like race and capitalism and rest and hustle culture and just it's phenomenal. Um, and when you think about like us being told that like to tap into humanity and culture and community is wrong. And that we belong isolated. And like, think about the episode when we talked about depression. What I, what did I just, what did I say in that episode? I said, isolation is a kill. Like it literally kills people. Why? Because to be isolated in your suffering is absolutely going to cause the suffering to get like expansive and like, and start feeling bigger and bigger and bigger. And like, There are certain family cultures where they're like, sorry, you can't be a lawyer. Everyone in our family is, you know, an electrician. And it's like, okay, great. Electrician is a great, it's not like it's suffering, but like if your, if your family says you don't get to like step outside the lines, we don't care if, if you look at, okay, yeah, our family is all electricians and everyone's miserable. Like, I don't want to be that life. I'm, I'm asking myself to do something different. And they're like, nope. This is what, this is your trajectory. And if you step out of line, then you're going to be the oddball out, right? And it's like, it's that, what I could compare this to is like me being like that person in that relationship that I'm referring to in the beginning and being like, no, actually, I think I'm going to get a divorce and my, and my church community come to me and be like, but have you gone to God? Like, maybe he's forming you into the person you need to be. Like, maybe this is all for like, for your betterment, maybe this is sanctifying your soul, right? Like, have you got, have you thought about that? And I, I'm the person that's going to my family saying, I don't want to be an electrician. I don't want to be in this relationship. It's not causing any relief. It's actually causing more suffering. And they're like, but what if that's the point? What if you're supposed to be stuck and miserable in a profession you don't want to be doing? What if you're supposed to be doing what we told? And it's like, it's really at the heart of this is like you having a belief that there's something greater beyond suffering, right? And so when we talk to our listeners who a lot of them are in trauma recovery, I think that is a narrative that we all have to come to a crossroads on is that, and I, when I tell you guys, like weirdly, this is a very personal topic for me right now because there are a few crossroads happening in my life where I'm trying to decide, do I just stay suffering and like suck it up and say, get over it, Jamie, you're struggling and you're always going to struggle. Right. Or I say, Hey, there's a different option. But when I say there's a different option, people are going to have like, this is where they come out of the woodworks and they're like, but what if the option is right? Yeah. Well, the fear kicks in because the fear of the unknown, like we we can't know for sure what's on the other side of that bridge. And all we know is what we know. And if all we've experienced of life so far is life through the lens of survival and grit and suffering and trauma and that version of ourselves, 
take everything else out. Take out the voices of society or our partners or our parents or anything like that. Literally just even within our own selves, if the only version of ourself that we are familiar with is the version of ourself that lives in that space of pain and suffering and trauma and grit and survival and hustle and go, go, go. Like trying to even visualize or conceptualize some other version of ourself that doesn't feel those things on a daily basis is borderline impossible, especially at first. You're just like, nah, that's not me. Like, and so when we start identifying like our core identity with our trauma and with our pain, we create our own obstacle. Like we literally become our own obstacle for reaching a new level of healing in our lives because we sit there and we go, yeah, but this is who I am. This is all I know. I don't know how to be me without this baggage, basically. And this is also extremely personal for me. Like if you could talk to my partner, like that's one of the main like things I've been saying to him, like as a theme over these last few weeks, I've really been getting to this place of like, I think I'm like, like I've been on this journey for a long time, guys. And like, yes, I've been healing and yes, I've been moving forward and like discovering new parts of myself and things like that. But I think there is all along this entire process, like still been this part of me that does identify with the trauma. And sometime like a month ago ish, I feel like that finally, like if it's like a, I'm picturing like a rope, you know how they like animate ropes and you like see that like unraveling and unraveling until there's just like this one tiny like string left and it's like I feel like it finally snapped and something inside of me went like I'm done being having trauma be like the thing that makes me who I am and the thing that I'm really good at like I want to be good at something else I want to identify in another way like I just it's time for me. And I don't know what it looks like on the other side. I don't know what it looks like when I operate from a place not of survival or not of pain and suffering. We're still working on it, guys. Like, stay tuned, I guess, because this is like the part of the journey that I'm on is just kind of getting to that place where I no longer feel the need to come out the gate with, you know, oh, who are you as a person? Oh, I'm a person who has overcome this and has overcome that and like struggles in this way. And like, those are part of my story, but it feels like those chapters are closing and I'm ready to start opening up new chapters where that is no longer the baseline, if that makes sense. I mean, this is, it reminds me of when you told me the story, CA like loves to go to shows. She's like my, you know, music lover friend. Um, So... Do you remember the story you told me? I mean, obviously don't name names, but like the story you told me about the people you ran into in the bathroom. Yes. Yes, definitely. Do you want want to share this or no? Do you want to? Because I feel like, because there's a really cool talking point. What part do you remember? Well, I just remember you telling me when you walked in and you hit it off with these girls. Yeah. They were like, Mm -hmm. what? Like just around 20 and you're like 30. Yeah, they were like very young. Discrepancy, right? And... I mean, I don't want to tell the story. <laughs> I guess I will. I don't no. know. Like, it, I feel like once I say it, it's going to be the story. But like, it's okay. um, I'll pick it up. When you were saying you, yeah, go ahead. Pick it up. Because <laughs> I'm trying to remember what part of it was sticking out to you. Because I remember the whole night, oh, but was, I wasn't sure it what. It was when you, okay, sorry. Yeah. So I'll just finish it. So basically she, the way I heard it, maybe I'm butchering it, but like you went in the bathroom, okay. you hit it off with these girls and then you guys were chatting and you realized she kind of like immediately jumped into like a really vulnerable oh yeah yeah like yeah, yeah, trauma yeah near it, but like you were like ooh, yes she's, she's really hitting Got some, you. Like, some wounds here like yeah you yes can, like, I don't know you're now I know me. what you're talking because I wasn't sure like what part of the story was like oh, clicking okay. with you but yeah, yeah yeah no for sure and it was interesting so yes like this younger woman and she I don't know if, if you've ever been in like Oh, yeah, a women's show, restroom. Show this is this is a culture. We all just are like, oh, we're we're all besties, like immediately. And somehow or another, yeah, like she starts like opening up like 
some pretty intense stuff about like her life and some like trauma stuff. And it was this like moment for me. This is this is true. Yeah, I do remember telling you this. I remember like watching this unfold, like participating in it, but also like watching this happen, like from a spectator's perspective simultaneously. And, you know, I was chatting with her and like, I, you know, like I kind of tried to roll the conversation into, you know, something positive. But the takeaway for me personally is I was going, wow, I actually remember that version of myself. I remember being that like younger version of me that thought the most me thing about me to talk about right. is my trauma. So if somebody starts asking me, oh, who are you? Like, what what's up with you? I would just trauma dump. I would literally just start opening up about my trauma because like that was the part of me that was the most identifying factor of myself. And so like watching somebody else do that was like a time warp. I was like, whoa. Okay, I wait, can't can tell we, you I how wanna, many times I, I know, think I, I did that. I want to pause because this is... Yeah, this is really cool. If we can like step back while we're listening and just think about this for a second. This is such a solid theme that I see coming out of trauma recovery, which is when people get to this point of their healing and they realize that many of the like meat and potatoes of their life because things came one after another after another and there was another blow and there was another blow was like series of traumatic events and then their highlights were becoming the traumatic events which means the reality yes. and the identity and the identifiers were getting like more and more anchored in of like hey I'm the person that's anxious I'm the person that's debilitated by this I'm the one who blah 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 right and then you become like this like okay so now ready this is why this is tricky so when you start really untangling those things and you start not not you don't you're not the idea is not rejecting your story we're not saying just pretend that doesn't exist repress it we're saying honor that that's part of your story and this is where the rubber meets the road when you start realizing that your life wasn't supposed to be fully defined your personality yes was impacted by some of these things and the way you laugh, the way you're dressing, the self-expressions you have, the relationships that nourish you, the, the people that love you, the moments you feel alive, the moments you feel heard and listened to and connected, the energy that you get in a room full of people that are psychologically safe. Like all of these things where when they're like, hey, tell me about you. You're like, I don't know. I really like, I like the color pink. Like I love deep conversations. Like I like really good spaghetti sauce. Like as much as people think that's not a personality trait, I go, those are the things that connect me to this world. I don't have to sit there and be like, I went through fire trauma and I got violated at age, blah, blah, blah. And did like, when you sit there and you go like, yes, those things absolutely had an impact on me. And they definitely forged a lot of things coming out of there. The point is when we think about, I guess what I would say is a pivot happens when you start realizing when you meet someone new and you don't have to lead with your trauma story anymore and you start leading with just like things that bring you life, not yes. things you've survived. Ooh, Think about that. Snaps on that right? because for real, that that is the pivot point. And that's what I like. It was like this like social interaction that I was having with somebody I just met that I was taking the step back and realizing a past version of myself was what she was doing. Like I did that Absolutely. for years. I led with the trauma because that's the most me thing about me, right? And I realized I don't do that anymore. I, I do now lead with things that are more like attached to just like my personal life and what brings me joy, what brings me life, all of that. And it's almost like you have to like see like a rewinded like version, a past version of yourself to see how far you've come. It's almost like that like hindsight experience of like, whoa, you like look back and you go, man, that really did used to be me. I'm not that person anymore. It's pretty, pretty interesting to observe that. And when you were talking just a minute ago about like these traumatic events, like that go on and they go and they go. I, I was remembering that other line that you read through that book. So maybe you could look that one up about yeah, the like cracks yeah. between the sidewalk the because um, no, oh, the, the cracks between yeah. the sidewalk, okay. because what I realized was 
what we're talking about basically is when you identify with the difficult parts of your life and you go, okay, this traumatic event, this traumatic event, and like, this is who I am, right? It's like those things were so loud and they took over our lives during that time because they were so intense and they're so difficult to survive that of course, when we like look back on our lives and try to create some sort of cohesive timeline and figure out like, who am I? Like what has happened to me in my life? Like those tend to be the things that like stick out just because they're so big and they're so loud and they're so heavy. But when you've come through that pivot point of your healing and in your current life, you start identifying more with the parts of you that bring you life. What then ends up happening is like part of the repair process that the brain starts to go through is that it's now going to go back through the whole life and start retroactively highlighting those parts of you as well that were always there. So now when I go back and I look through my life, those trauma events are absolutely still there, but it's so like fun and beautiful to look back on my life and start to see where the light was always there. These like parts of me that were like silly and fun loving and and like loving music and loving art and loving expression and creativity and loving to read and loving nature was always there. Like that's who I actually am. And I was always there all along, despite the fact that traumatic events kept coming in and trying to like squash that version of me and, and take up all the space inside of me that I had to like shove all of those parts of me aside to survive this massive trauma that I was going through. But as soon as like the trauma even began to dissipate a little bit, guess who was there? That authentic version of me peeking through the cracks. So I do want you to read that quote. Okay. This is Elizabeth Gilbert talking about creativity, but in this sense, we're kind of talking about like your identity growing. Okay. I believe that our creativity grows like sidewalk weeds out of the cracks between our pathologies, not from the pathologies themselves. So many people think it's the other way around. For this reason, we will often meet people who will cling to suffering. So think about this, guys, though, okay? Is that suffering is part of our story. It is part of our trauma is part of our story. These are real experiences. She actually prefaces this and I'm going to read this part because this is going to be a little bit of a tough take, but I, I do think that this is worth exploring. Okay. In this part of the book, she's talking about how a lot of people identify with like pain, suffering and artistic creativity and like expression and who people are and if suffering is necessary for creative energy. And then she's talking about like how many artists and poets and creatives have addictions. Okay. And I just, I think this is worth reading. Addiction does not make the artist. Raymond Carver, for one, intimately knew this to be true. He himself was an alcoholic and was never able to become the writer he needed to be, not even on the subject of alcoholism itself, until he gave up the booze. As he said, any artist who is an alcoholic is an artist despite their alcoholism, not because of it. Okay. And so I'm thinking about this in relationship to our trauma. And this is why if we change the language around our trauma, shifts can very much occur around our healing process. Because if we say, I am strong because of my trauma, now the suffering is supposed to be there in some way, to make us grow and ever upward, right? So then we get scared because we're like, well, if I'm not suffering anymore, then how am I going to grow, right? And the idea behind that like relationship with addiction and like trauma is like you you becoming who you are is because you're de- developing skills despite the things that happen to you. And if you don't define yourself by those things that happen to you, like CA just said, if I stop defining myself through the lens of trauma and I actually claim the things that I already showed up, but I couldn't see because trauma blinded them, I can now go back and reclaim the things that I already had that I never got to see 
as who I really am. And that's what we mean by like when we're actually changing the lens to not orient towards suffering, but to orient to like, I mean, we can use the word love, but it's really orienting toward that energy or that entity that we, that we're like, it was like sprinkled through our trauma. Like we, we were still funny. We were still goofy. We still love nature and we were struggling and we were crying every night. Like, right. It's like, we can go back and be like, I'm not completely identity less. Right. When people say when I'm in my trauma and I just wake up, this is a huge thing. They go, I don't have a personality. Everything about me was formed from trauma. Right. And so they go, you can't even ask me what music I like because I had to like the person that my boyfriend liked or he'd hit me. I don't know what type of spirituality I am because I had to be that spirituality or I thought I was getting condemned to hell, right? Like all of these factors come into play and you start questioning every decision you made because you're like, everything was from trauma. I didn't know what music I liked because I couldn't know what music I liked, right? But then there's, this is why there's so much talk about like, let children speak or like let our child energy speak because yes many of us experienced trauma when we were a child and the reason why we even bring up reminiscing or like aligning back to that childhood energy is because a lot of the like hang-ups that we have as adults weren't in our brain yet they weren't online yet so we did know we were going through pain and we still created art anyways, and we still sang anyways, and we danced, and we were laughing anyways, and we still did it anyways. And trauma probably blinded you and said, that doesn't matter. The whole reason you are who you are is because of like me, because you suffered and you became who you needed to be because of me. And when you start changing the language, you go, no, I, I've always been this person. I was developing skills despite what happened to me. And if I keep projecting that suffering is the only way I get in touch with that stuff, then I'm going to be like looking at suffering as like needing to be in my life versus just it is a part of life. You do experience suffering. We all are going to experience suffering, whether or not we're aligning with it or not. And it's not the point, though. It's not the like identifier point of like, yep you know, another trauma, another point in my book of like, I'm now defined as this person, right? So I think it becomes, I, I thought you were referencing this quote, because this one's really good. This is Rilke. I think Rilke's like a famous poet. If my devils are to leave me, I'm afraid my angels will take flight as well. And when I tell you folks, like, dude, this is about self-trust. If you're scared about what it would feel like to not identify with your trauma. I'm telling you, it's this, it's this perception thing that happens during healing where you're like, I could consistently look for, how do I want to explain this? It's like I could consistently try to untangle the past or untangle why I am the way I am oh, the reason why I'm triggered by this is because of this indoctrination or this problem or this trauma, right? Versus when you start orienting to healing and you're like, yes, I do. I am very familiar with the things that trigger me. I've done this work for a long time. I'm pretty aware of what are the things that set me off. And when I'm looking at that as not like almost, a fixed reality, if that makes sense. Like if I look at my triggers and say, they'll be my triggers till the day I die, it's dangerous, right? Because it doesn't give you the chance to experience or even entertain a life that that is no longer triggering you, right? And that's the hardest issue is like, if I sit there and I go, no, 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 no. Every time you bring that up, I'm, I, I don't know what to tell you, like, right? Yeah, I mean, even beyond the like, clinging to those negativity things and saying, oh, that'll be my trigger forever. But beyond that, like what we were saying a minute ago, if we identify all the good parts of ourselves as being like dependent upon our suffering, then we are actually limiting and we're creating this obstacle to our own healing. And a really interesting um, 
example of this that like jumped to mind is I am like a huge consumer of music and it's like literally part of my everyday life. I never not listening to music. Um, there's an artist that I really like. It's a band called Beartooth and Beartooth is their most of their body of work is really, really like lyrically heavily written about the, the suffering that, you know, particularly the, the songwriter has gone through, but I'm sure he's pulled in like other experiences of the band members and things like that. So like, a lot of their music is really like lyrically very heavy and, and based in that suffering and mental health issues and uh, family issues and things that are really, really difficult. Interestingly, about a year ago, they released a song and then a couple months ago, they just released a second song. So they now have these two songs that I've heard Caleb, the songwriter, the lead singer speak about he's made this like very active shift in his songwriting. And it's even like, you can hear it in the lyrics of these songs, literally themselves, but he's also said it in interviews and things like that, that he's at this place in his life now where he's so grateful for the music that they've already made. And it's not like he's going to stop playing, you know, the hits at shows and things like that. But he was like, I am ready to start writing music about a more healed version of myself. Like, I think I'm done writing about the pain. So what I bring that story up for, and these two songs that came out, y'all, bangers, absolute bangers. And I think what I want to bring that Gotta up put is in the show notes. Put them in the show notes. I am going to. I'm going to. One is called Riptide and the other one's called Sunshine. And they're both so good. And I think for artists in particular, but maybe this applies to all of us, right? There's this fear of, I only know how to write music from my pain. Or I only know how to create art from my pain. Or I only know how to be compassionate, be intuitive, be creative, be motivated from my pain. I don't know how to do those things from a place of wholeness. And maybe hearing another creative create these two really beautiful songs from a place of his healing and his wholeness will motivate you because it certainly has for me hearing these songs come out of him after knowing what some of the like themes of his previous songwriting has been about like literally some of the heaviest stuff and then hearing him talk about like life and happiness and just like enjoying euphoria I'm like we can all tap into this we can still be creative. We can still be sensitive and compassionate and loving and all these things that we think, oh, I've only been able to tap into those because of my pain. No, you will find that you can, those things, as that quote said in your book, Jamie, that you're an artist despite the trauma, not because of the trauma or even if it's not art in your particular life, <laughs> whoever you are listening to this, like, you're a good listener despite the trauma, not because of the trauma. You're compassionate, you're sensitive, you're intuitive, you're a kind person, you are a motivated person, you are an energetic, you know, active person. All of these things that you think, oh no, I'm only, those are all trauma responses. They're not. They don't have to be. Like there is a version of you that gets to participate in those authentic version, like parts of yourself from a place of wholeness, not from a place of suffering. I mean, when you were talking, it just dawned on me that like, if we're really talking about the stages of healing, like I can't even remember what episode it was, but if you go back to one of the OG episodes, the stages of healing, if you think about what we need at certain times of our life, sometimes, okay, let's just use music. When we're in the beginning of our healing and our processing, right? If we look at like the stages of healing, we need knowledge. We need people to be talking about it. We need people to be bringing up the language of like enmeshment, codependency. Uh, we need labels for triangulation and, and pain that's happening. We need language because we need to be able to conceptualize what's happening to us, right? So if we think of music, we're going to be drawn to music that has like, oh, wow, there's the 
they're describing what's happened to me and they're putting it to life. Like they're bringing it to life. Right. And then we have awareness. So now you're noticing when that's happening to you and you feel bonded with people who share, right? You, you feel bonded with people who are sharing in that suffering, not because you want to make it more, but because you're like, I finally feel seen. I feel seen. I feel seen, which is why me and CA in our twenties and earlier than that would do the trauma, like not the bonding, but the trauma dump thing, because we would say, Hey, there is, I'm in the stage of healing where I need to feel that this is seen and validated. Can you see and validate it? Oh, you can't. All right. Maybe you're not for me. Right. But then when someone goes, Oh, I see you and I validate you that you go, Oh, okay. Like this might be someone who could like actually share and understand life with me. Right. Okay. So now let's move beyond when we get to or other stages of healing. This is why if you're asking like people be like, well, how do I know if I'm making progress? I would say, what is you what are you seeking right are you seeking validation that your pain is real are you seeking opportunities to become more aware that your pain actually exists and your trauma is valid right are you seeking um dynamics where people can just say like i also went through that and what you went through was hard because it was hard for me and i see you right like it's a lot of like validating energies, which is why we're not saying what happened in that bathroom. There was one right avenue. Like those girls like that, like shared that most likely did that from a place of their own, like safety and direction. They saw CIS safe and they like sought that, like seen, heard experience. Right. Then what we're speaking on now is that to make the shift of like, belief, application, the shift in the lived reality beyond awareness, beyond knowledge, like what starts occurring is there very well may come a time where you're like the energy, the alignment, let's just use music. The music that I'm now seeking is aligning with ease. It's aligning with self-kindness or alignment of myself, things that are now, and we don't mean like toxic positivity, like fluffy, everything's roses. No, we're saying I don't have to be continually in that validation place because I know now, regardless if music confirms it for me, my pain was real. my, My trauma was real. My experience was valid. And it doesn't define me. So now we're in a new stage of processing, which means you're probably going to seek different kinds of social media platforms. You're going to seek out different social groups. You're going to seek out new books. You're going to seek out new music. You're going to seek out the things that are creative energy inputs in our lives. And that will most likely start reflecting voices of you deserve rest. You deserve to not feel tired. You deserve recovery. You deserve nourishing relationships and not ones that cause new new evolutions of trauma, right? So like now all of a sudden, things are going to start looking different. Like CA just said, I used to listen to his music. It was really intense. It was really painful. And then all of a sudden I heard him say, there's a shift and I listened to it and it hit me and it resonated. And I'm like, yes, but I don't think that was an accident, CA, at all. Absolutely. I I, I completely agree. And it's, yeah. So I, I guess like starting to sort of like wrap up the topic, you know, we kind of opened up talking about suffering versus love, but maybe it's more like identifying with the parts of us that were hurt by life versus identifying with the the healing parts of us, the whole version of ourselves, this like authentic thread of who we are that was woven throughout our entire lives. It was always there. And sometimes it can be hard to like understand that or believe that. I believe me as trust me. When I first started like hearing the term inner child or like inner child work, you can ask anybody in my life, I would literally say to people, I don't have an inner child. And the reason why is because my childhood 
was so ridden with trauma that extremely early on in my childhood, these like protector versions of myself had to come online and start like basically helping me survive my life. And so when I looked back on my child, I thought, oh, your inner child is who you were as a kid. And when I looked back on my life and tried to remember myself as a kid, that person was in literal survival mode almost 24 seven. And so when people be like, Oh, connect with your inner child, I'd be like, you mean connect with somebody that was experiencing the highest levels of pain they've ever had up to this point in their life? Like, why would I want to bring that person back? Like, I don't I don't want that, you know, and then it took me years, literally years to like, unpeel the layers of how many like protective personalities I had online throughout my childhood that underneath all of that, there really was always this like little me that when she found glimpses of moments of safety, she was there and she loved nature and she loved music and she loved doodling and she loved like putting things in rainbow order or size order, like all these just like weird little like quirky things about me. Like that stuff was always there. It's just that she had so few opportunities to like be that person. (laughs) And so, yeah, that's what I mean is like, basically like I am now coming through this stage of healing where like, that's the me that I most strongly identify with and like lead with. And if I I don't shy away from my trauma. I don't pretend it doesn't exist. This isn't toxic positivity. I'm not thankful for my trauma. It didn't make me stronger. I also don't deny that it happened. I can be very honest and look at it very authentically and say, yeah, these things happened. They affected me in these ways. And some days it's still really strongly affecting me in these ways. I can be honest about all of that and still allow those parts of myself to be like the more like back burner influential parts of how I now lead my life. I no longer lead from trauma. It doesn't mean that it's not there and it doesn't affect me. It's all there, but I'm leading from this place of, oh no, like my personality is that I'm, you know, fun loving and this, that, and whatever, you know, that is for you. I lead from this place of a more like whole healed version of myself. And, you know, some days it's harder than others. But like, at the end of the day, when I think about what makes me me, I'm happy to say that I'm now in a place where I no longer immediately jump to the trauma. Right, right. And I think if we want to talk about like, ending some of this thought cycling, or the thought projections that we can do with like trauma and needs to be in my life or I'm not growing. Um, it's the thing that made me who I am, right? If we change that language to it happened and I grew because of it and it's not my definer and it's not my identity, right? It's like, think about why this becomes tricky, right? If we just use a big umbrella term like love, right? Love is not choosing the easiest path. Love is not choosing like people are going to be like, yeah, that's why we equate love and suffering, right? Because sometimes in order to like be, you know, bonded with someone, it's not going to always feel good. Okay. Right. But to me, there's a difference between trial and challenge and suffering. If you're with, let's go with a partner. If you're with a partner and you're going through something together and let's say they're going through something and you feel as though there's like this challenge or there's this like learning experience that both of you can get through and elicit new things from it, right? There's a big difference between you both going through something and doing the untangling and trying to figure out what you guys need to do and how you guys need to be together and how you can respect each other. There's a big difference between trial and challenging things through a relationship versus suffering. Right. There's a difference between like pushing, pushing in a workout at like a nice, like level of resistance where you're like, Ooh, my muscles are like feeling this. This is challenging for my muscles. Right. There's a difference between that and literally like ripping your tendons open because you're pushing a weight that is absolutely beyond the capacity of what you're doing. But see, it's supposed to hurt. 
It's supposed to have nerve pain. It's supposed to hurt. Life is supposed to hurt. If I'm not, if I'm going to get muscles, I'm supposed to have that nerve pain. I'm supposed to have that like visceral, like, you know, and I go, that's where we're not actually, we're not perceiving growth through a healthy lens. Because if you tell me that part of you growing muscle is tearing your shoulder, like ligaments and ignoring your body and blowing out your knee and being in, you know, OT and PT for two years because you keep ignoring your body. That is not growth. That is not healthy muscle development versus if I sit there and I go healthy growth. Yes, is not roses and daisies and it doesn't feel good all the time. That's what I mean by like if you understand that, yes, love is not going to feel like fluffy all the time. And at the heart of your heart, please know Love is not to suffer, right? So when I have a client come to me and being like, but part of like a relationship is right. Like I have to feel imprisoned and pain and, and in this pain. And I just have to forget about myself and just always go to the other. I go, no, that's suffering. That's not growth. That's suffering. And so what we're really coming down to is if you can untangle some of this stuff for yourself, you can ask yourself, is that whatever it is, a relationship, a workplace, is this, is this environment eliciting growth through this challenge or am I just suffering? And if all it is, is pure suffering and you tell yourself, this is the only way I'm going to grow. That's what we're talking about in this episode is that to commit yourself to say the only way I'm ever going to get better is through this amount of suffering. It's so like deprivation energy. It's like, you're never going to be able to thrive. You're never going to be able to fully live life because you're going to be in a state of what CA said, survival. When you are in your purest form of suffering, your brain goes, Hey, this isn't what we're supposed to be doing at life default. This is going to be now going into our register for survival mode. So now you're going to start making decisions from survival mode, right? That's where we're talking about. So Elizabeth does this beautiful wrap up. And so this is one of the things I'm going to end, end with you. She simply says, love over suffering always. And that's my wish for you guys. Love over suffering is that, yes, life can be challenging. It can throw trials at us. But if life is suffering, what we want you to be aware of is that when you can feel, you come to terms with the acknowledgement that no, this is not the defining relationship of my life. This is not the defining identifier. This is not what my life is supposed to feel like. That's what we mean by how many episodes have we talked about this? Stop normalizing trauma as an acceptable experience in life. It's not. It is not to be sat with and be compliant with. It is literally saying to suffering, nah, bitch, like that's not how I'm going to live my life. I will not continue to think suffering is the way I get to be growing. There's a different avenue. And that's what this is, is that you don't have to feel suffocated your whole life and be stuck in this processing where like the only way you're going to grow is if someone's beating you down and you're developing the skill from that. I think that's a good place to leave it. That's where we're probably going to leave it. So, um, yeah, thank you guys for listening. We'll be back. Um, and we, if we will put the book that I read from in the show notes and CAs, songs in the show notes um and yeah we'll see you next time Thank you so much, y'all, for tuning in. If anything we said resonated, please subscribe and leave a review anywhere you listen to podcasts. This absolutely helps us grow, and we really do value your voice on this podcast. So if you have anything you'd like to contribute, any tips, any topics, or if you just want to say hi, you can email us at unlearned at recollectedself.com. 
You can find us on Instagram at the unlearned podcast or individual Instagrams at recollected self and CAs is at embracing divergence. You can also find us over on TikTok under those handles. If you want to join our Patreon for $5 a month, you can be our coffee fiend club member. And that's going to give you access to our podcast within a podcast, which is called unhinged. This is basically where we let loose completely unedited. We are literally just shooting the breeze, having fun. You can see our full personalities and it is a blast. Honestly, it's pretty fun. So if you want to join us, you can find that at patreon.com slash unlearned. And that's it. The last thing I want to tell you is I want you to be brave enough to fight for the person you want to become. And this is how we do the work.